So it turns out that whole masturbation video of mine that was going to be leaked is total bullshit. Now I have to actually make a masturbation video to see if I look decent while masturbating. And it's not something I ever even considered until that scammer said that they were going to release the video. I'm just like, release the beat cut. Just release it already. I know you got it. I can get you one if you want one. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Reverend Campbell, being joined today by none other than Warlock Bowling. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, bud. Thanks for having me on. Hell yeah. No, I, I figured uh, it's been a little bit, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit since you and I spoke. So why not bring you on and have you banter about local news and shit, or uh, current news anyway? Uh, let me give a quick shout out to the people in chat room. Thank you guys so much for joining us live. Valeria, it's great to see you. William, what up? Zachary, how you doing? Peanut butter toast. I always got to sing your name. Dog, how you doing? Uh, it's good to see you. Dallas, what's up, man? We've got uh, Jason. How you doing? Demented one. It's been a long time. What the fuck, yo? Where have you been? Get out from under that rock. Dan, good to see you. Blake, what up? All right. All right. I think that's everyone. Is that everyone? Sean, how you doing? Jeff. Hey, Jeff Ivans in the his house. Clinton, good to see you. Wes. Wes. Ray, good to see you too. All right, that's enough. Fuck, people. Satanic preacher. How you doing too? All right, so we can be doing this all day. Um, it is uh, April 19th. As of today, we have 2,350,075 worldwide cases of COVID-19 with 161,270 deaths. And we've got a great show for you this week. Now, if... For those of you who are staying up uh, in the know with my weekly tallies, um, we're actually slowing infection rates, though there are a lot more, uh, and the death rates are slowing, which is kind of nice. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. I think it's going to, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. I don't know. Have you have you heard about this pandemic thing, Jeff? The um, the what? So it's the <laughs> virus. The, <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of a, a virus yeah <laughs> yeah i um uh, they closed down my favorite bar oh shit they canceled a bunch of shows i was gonna go to so yeah i've heard of it <laughs> yeah, those bastards right <laughs> yeah. well uh in the do a little show note rundown here i'm the devil's advocate i received a letter last week that i thought would be interesting to have a conversation with you particularly Jeff, this week. And so uh, we're going to talk about former members and um, uh, uh, inspect. I can't remember what I fucking put down the show notes. <laughs> I can't remember. It's something. Uh, we also, in the Infernal Informant, have 1,000 people gathered in violation of health order to protest Salt Lake City's coronavirus restrictions. And coronavirus testing needs to get up to 350,000 per day for the U.S. to reopen, Harvard researchers say. 
In the final segment, we're going to talk about an oldie but a goodie, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And no, I'm not fucking with you. I'm actually wanting to talk about it because I enjoy it. So I want to share that with all of you heathens who haven't read it yet. Uh, and maybe a couple of you have, which would be awesome. And that's it. So um, before we dive into the show, how's your, your week, your quarantining, your social distancing been? You know, it's honestly, it's kind of weird. Um, I'm doing the same amount of stuff, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. <laughs> because there's like, I mean, I guess there's so much more time in the day where I'm not out doing something I would otherwise be doing. I'm getting the same amount of stuff done, but then I find myself kind of going like, well, where did all these extra hours come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I commute for almost an hour to work and back. So I have an extra almost two hours where I'm just like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? Like, right. uh, I guess I'm going to go make another beat off video. And I'm like, and it'll get leaked. <laughs> so stupid. It was so dumb. For like 10 seconds when I was reading it, I was like, oh. and I was like, no, I don't even fucking masturbate at my desk. Like, <laughs> what am I worried about? They're still watching. I know, apparently. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, doing a lot of just wandering my halls. Like, I never mm -hmm. thought I would pace as much as I've been pacing. I've been, like, looking at the clock, waiting. Is it time to take the dogs out? Oh, maybe i got to take the dogs out for a walk. It's just, I'm, I'm dying. Just sitting in the Yeah, I'll, I'll find myself sometimes, like, uh, so I've had a lot of time to catch up on, like, reading and watching movies that I've been wanting to watch, that kind of thing. And I'll find myself sometimes just standing up watching the movie. And I don't even realize that I'm standing. <laughs> oh, it looks like we uh, have a little bit of stuttering. Let me see if I can uh, refresh this and get you back. All right, you back? You good? Can you hear us? All right, there you go. I can. Yeah, all right. Cool. Yeah, it was just uh, always technical mind. difficulties when I'm on here. <laughs> it's everyone, man. It's just it's me is the problem. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I'm trying to run shows. It's ridiculous. You'd think after years of me making mistakes, I'd, I'd learn, but I don't learn. Um, all right, just a quick reminder for everyone, uh, because I have more time than I normally do, I'm creating more content out there, and there's actually a bit of a schedule. So Sunday evenings, we're going to be doing Nine Cents. Wednesdays, we're doing Saint on Cinema. It's just a review of a film that we want to do. And we're going to do Netflix parties every Friday night until they let us get out of our houses. And this coming week, we're going to be doing Evil Dead, thanks to uh, Dog for suggesting it. It's going to be good. So if you've seen Evil the, Dead, uh... the first one. The original. Is this the remake or the original? No, the original. All right. All right. Bad acting, bad makeup, <laughs> glorious Evil Dead. Right. Bruce Campbell at his absolute finest. Oh, my gosh. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> I love that man. Um, all right. I had some other stuff I was going to go over, but I, let's not, because I want to kind of get into some of these other uh, subjects. Let's do a little devil's advocate here. <laughs> for the whole amount of time I, thought I, to. I just I use it as like time cues so I can mark it down that's it um, okay so this is a, a letter that I received uh, from one of you the audience members thank you guys so much for your interaction I really do appreciate it and there was a whole bunch of a preface to the letter 
but only a little bit of a final question at the end. And so I want to propose the final question and then just have a bit of a back and forth about it. So uh, the letter sender, I didn't see if it was okay. I didn't ask him if it was okay to say his name, so I'm not going to. He says, uh, if former members have changed their mind about whether or not they're Satanists, then they think that their current ideas are correct and their former ideas incorrect. But he finds that as interesting as their current endeavors are, the basic platform of Satanism remains, at least for him, the most solid foundation from which to operate. So this paradox is mind-boggling for him. This paradox of you're a Satanist, you want to explore abstract ideas, you go to explore them, and you realize that you're not a Satanist and you're going to go explore those other ideas. Well, he, uh, in the preface to this email, has uh, said that he's like studied tons of different religions and he always comes back to Satanism because it's the only thing that sticks. And uh, he's gotten a lot of shit for openly looking at other religious ideas or, or you know, challenging his, his state of understanding of religion. Uh, and so he brought up the idea of Magus Gilmore writing in his essay, Yes, We Have No Occultism, as a bit of a quote here. Our members might be intrigued by other religions from neo-pagans and Eastern beliefs to ancient doctrines, a broad range of philosophies, and Satanism provides an excellent platform for open, critical examination of many perspectives. Our members are free to extract and employ whatever they find in them to be beneficial to themselves. And so I thought, why not have a bit of a back and forth about this idea? Because I've fallen into the same trap uh, on both sides of the trap, where I will find myself exploring ideas that are, you know, silently verboten among uh, satanic areas, you know, as it were. Uh, <laughs> but I still explore them because I'm kind of addicted to the occult and I love it. Uh, and so... Does that make me less of a Satanist because I explore, uh, you know, ideas that are, you know, seemingly non-Satanic to uh, some other people? And then when I see other people uh, sharing ideas that are clearly early first phase shit, I just immediately pounce on them and talk shit about them. <laughs> like to their face, to be fair. But still, like, I'm just like, you idiot, that's all bullshit. And yet I'm doing the same fucking thing. And so... I find this a lot in uh, satanic places online, and certainly I've seen it in my chat room here, where if someone shares an idea that is not overtly satanic or is a confused idea about Satanism, people just sort of pounce on them. Like, wh where do you think that comes from? Uh, well, there's certainly a, uh, a kind of misguided pack mentality to uh, internet Satanists. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I just mean Satanists who conduct business on the internet who congregate on the internet there's uh there's definitely a pack mentality that exists mm -hmm. uh, and i'm certainly guilty of, of doing it myself I'll, I'll jump in on on one young kid who's just discovering the religion and then with someone else when they present an idea in a way that it makes sense to me i'll defend them like you know like my honor is at stake <laughs> when it's all just bullshit facebook <laughs> but, yeah. um but yeah no and that's that's been a thing i mean that's been a thing since alt.satanism in the 90s you know it's it's always kind of been there i think it's just the um i think it's it's human nature to want to feel like you know something that someone else doesn't to feel more important because mm -hmm. you have that knowledge um and you know I, as a satanist i indulge my human nature but i also have to recognize when i'm treading the waters of pretentiousness and solipsism and mm -hmm. all of those things you know um yeah. It's so certainly the the finesse with that usually comes with age. Usually 
there's some <laughs> true. there's some older members who are who are still uh, weird about it. But yeah. <laughs> well, this is like the the strangest part about all of it to me is that the religion in and of itself is an amalgamation of pre-existing ideas. You know, there was Absolutely. no one all philosophies, all religions. Yeah, yeah, there was no one idea of Satanism that the doctor just saw or heard about and then wrote it all down and then presented it <laughs> as if it was his own work. He took ideas from a lot of different places, some of them really extreme, some of them not so extreme. Mm -hmm. And he just put it all together. And so if the religion that you're a member of or you identify with is an amalgamation of pre-existing religious and philo philosophical ideas, how are you then going to shit on other people that are exploring other philosophical ideas that identify as Satanists as well? Like, it, it blows my yeah. mind. I, I think there is there is something to be said for presentation as well. Um, right. So it's one thing if I if I study, uh, let's, uh, just picking out a thin air, let's say I'm studying Crowley, right? I'm reading an Aleister Crowley book. Mm -hmm. and uh, And I start like, you know, either online or via snail mail, or however I'm communicating with someone, I start regurgitating things that Alistair Crowley is saying in the book mm -hmm. and basically sounding every bit like a thelemite, you know, versus <laughs> reading it, studying it, really getting some whatever knowledge you can get out of that, incorporating it into my own life. And then maybe in an essay or something random, I might quote Crowley, something mm -hmm. that he said that, that made sense. That's a different way of presenting. So, you know, especially with detractors and uh, people who are, you know, uh, would love to see the Church of Satan go bye bye and things like that. We're always, especially like active members, are always on the watch for the next, you know, person who's going to stab us all in the back or whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely think presentation has a lot to do with it. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because usually the people that end up like leaving in a huff and trying to stab people in the back are the ones that tried to toe the line so clearly saying, oh, I am, I'm a purist, you know, whatever that fucking means. Like that's usually the type that, you know, it's, it's like, it's akin to, well, you got to watch the silent ones. They're the real dangerous ones. Right. Yeah. You know, it's the ones that are towing the no, party. It's, yeah. Line. It's the loudest ones in our group. <laughs> but, um, I, I, I don't, I don't find anything wrong with, uh, any, anyone, no matter former or current member, exploring ideas outside of Satanism and then if they find something that works for them as a Satanist then adopting that piece to them because again you know like Crowley for example um, I'm not a huge fan of his but I am a fan of the occult um, microcosm that he created and has since him reverberated out oh I yeah mean, absolutely I mean I mean because it's not you know I, I was talking about the Lima earlier but mm -hmm. Crowley had an influence on everyone, including Anton LaVey. Yeah. Even though the doctor was not a big fan of his, he had an influence on Anton LaVey. So, I mean, the guy was definitely an accomplished occultist, whatever that means. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I guess my point of this was that um, you, it's okay. In the same way that we Satanists are much more than our religion, we have many different passions about us, many different things that we do in life that have nothing to do with this religion that all culminate into who we are. It's the exact same with our, the late doctor, with Crowley, with any other religious identity. They are not these um, uh, uh, monuments unto themselves right. of that one thing. Uh, and so, again, you can find things about... Um, you can find things about uh, 
Oh, um, uh, Mark Twain, for example, mm. who is a brilliant human being, but he was a wild bigot to Native oh, Americans, yeah. Oh, yeah. like massively <laughs> bigoted. And so am I not supposed to like him because he was a bigot at some point? Well, and that's, and that's a thing where that's definitely, it's, I wouldn't say it's a modern phenomenon, but it's mm -hmm. something that's really taking off in modern society where we have to, uh, uh, no pun intended, whitewash the past. So, you know, you, you can't, as a person who is out there studying and learning things, you're, you're not allowed to read H.P. Lovecraft because he had a cat named after the N-word. You know, <laughs> you're not allowed to read Mark Twain because the guy, you know, was misguided. Uh, and it's the same token as like someone saying that you can't get anything decent, learn anything decent out of reading someone who was openly problematic, mm -hmm. you know, to use the, the modern lingo, like Adolf Hitler or, mm -hmm. uh, or Karl Marx or someone like that. Everyone who has ever accomplished anything in this world has a dark side. And mm -hmm. that's actually one of the founding principles of Satanism is understanding that and embracing that in yourself. Yeah. And I, I always love uh, those magazine articles that you run across every once in a while where the doctor, you know, like in skate mags and stuff, this is like, you know, late eighties, early nineties type uh, area where he would just openly say, look, you can't say everything, every idea about um, the Nazi party or uh, uh, the third Reich was, I'm butchering this quote, was a bad <laughs> thing. Maybe they didn't fully understand what was trying to be said. And so they take that and say, oh, my gosh, the doctor was a racist. He was a Nazi, you know, right. like they, and you'll see you'll see it on the flip side too. the yeah. uh, the, the white nationalist neo-Nazi cucks <laughs> uh, come after Satanism and say that Satanism is a, is a you know, despicable religion because it was founded by a Jew yeah. and it's part of the Zionist plot. And yeah. it's yeah. But that's the point behind Satanism. And this is what I added to the notes was that uh, Satanism exists as a. Um, I guess you could say a reaction to the sacred cows. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you'll especially see this out of former members, uh, vocal former members who are complaining about things like rainbows on Baphomets, like that somehow taints the sacred symbol that is the Baphomet. Mm -hmm. There ain't nothing sacred in Satanism. You know, the whole, the whole purpose is to kill your idols so that you can become your own God. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's the evolution of self deification. And so, uh, as I'm fond of saying, and, and anyone in the chat who talks with me on a regular basis will recognize it, um, whenever I see a sacred cow, I think, hmm, it's time for cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, and I think that's an, an idea that needs to be hammered home in anyone exploring the religion of Satanism. Because, mm -hmm. again, people tend to deify Anton LaVey. People tend to deify even our current administration. Um and you need to realize that it's not about them. It's about you, your likes and dislikes. And that, that is going to be contentious to other members intentionally. Oh, absolutely, we were never yeah. meant to all get along and all understand each other's points and to have each other's back as some weird <laughs> Christian uh, collective. That's not what Satanism <laughs> is. And so yeah, we, not at all. We, we, not at all. we must understand that current former members any individual Satanist has their own ideas outside of the Satanic Bible that they have twisted into their own form of living Satanism. And just because it doesn't mesh with what you understand doesn't mean it's wrong. And it doesn't mean you have to accept it either. But mm -hmm. you have to understand that that's the reality, that you don't have to accept it.
it's it's very much like uh, the in the essay the unknown known uh, from uh, the satanic rituals. Uh, the doctor talks about the number nine and how it always comes back to itself and things like that. And that is uh, basically an allegory for what the Satanist is supposed to be, the ultimate individual, the egoist, you know, the, the person at the center of their own world. Mm-hmm. Everything should come back to you. And so by nature, by, by, by the very virtue of that being our philosophy, we're going to be hypocritical to outsiders. Yeah. But as long as you reconcile it with yourself and you don't present it like a dumbass, you'll, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, um, part of the idea of, of, as an individual, it's important to question all things, question whether or not you're even a Satanist, question whether mm-hmm. satanic ideas are meaningful to you, because it's easy to fall in love with the aesthetic of Satanism. Certainly if you come from my background or your background, um, yeah. that occult side of things, you can't get much better than those ritual chambers. <laughs> but if the ideas behind it don't connect with you in any way, then you you aren't a Satanist and, and you should move on. And, and it's gotten to a point where former members have done just that. And you can't yeah. tear them up because of it. I'm glad that they left. I'm glad that they're former members because now they're not polluting what Satanism actually is with their nonsense. Right. At least they had, at least even if they didn't know it, they had the foresight to stop muddying the waters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cream does rise to the top sometimes. <laughs> it is nice. Um, okay. So do you guys have any uh, comments in the chat room about this? There, there's been like the stream of consciousness going through here as we've been talking. And, and so I haven't been <laughs> able to follow it, but uh, yeah, I guess as, as closing words um, and for me anyway, on this topic, study everything. Study whatever you want to study. If you find a G.I. Joe comic book from 83 that is particularly satanic and meaningful to you and you want to put it in your uh, ritual chamber, then do it. Who cares? Like, that is your version of living a Satanist. And there's nothing wrong with that. And if that means that you, you like some ideas of Mormonism, as I vomit a little in my mouth, or you like some <laughs> ideas of other religions... If you can strip away the uh, spiritual pipe dream claptrap from it and somehow harness whatever that that core of the idea was, well, then all the better. Like, do it. Who cares? That's you. But at any point you start believing in these spiritual pipe dreams, then you're just simply not a Satanist. And, And you need to recognize that. You have to be able to have that cutoff point. Satanists are atheists. We do not believe in this magical hereafter. We're focused with the here and now. That is Satanism. And if you can't understand that central core, because everything else spins off from that, our obsession right. with the carnality of life, is because we're this is the only here and now. If you can't yeah. connect with that, then you're just not a Satanist. And it's okay. Leave. It's fine. We can still be right. friends. Right. I don't care. But... <laughs> Don't pollute the waters if you truly aren't one. And don't shit on people for bringing ideas that they connect with that maybe you don't. You don't have to accept it, but you can always keep your fucking mouth shut. <laughs> it's an option. Right, yeah. And, you know, that's that's something that uh, just enough people don't do anymore. Scroll on. Change the channel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. if, you're not, if you're not having a good time, why are you putting yourself through it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so that's all I had. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on with this? Um, I would I would just add uh, to follow up to what you were saying. Uh, I would just also add stop uh, for the young Satanists, or I, I mean young in the sense like you just read the Satanic Bible. Mm-hmm. You're just starting to 
get into these waters and meet these other people, usually online or whatever. Um, stop trying to impress everybody. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just like, again, if, if you're the center of your own universe, be the center of your own universe. You don't need my approval. You don't need Adam's approval. You don't even need uh, uh, the maestro and the high priestess's approval. Yeah. Uh, other than, you know, to get into the organization. Beyond that, they don't have to like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody has to. Yeah, it's not a fan club. Right. It's really not. <laughs> All right, let's do a little Infernal Informant and yell about something else. Sounds good. All right, I just stopped there early. I want to get into some of this. Oh, I actually had an image that I was going to throw up for that last conversation, and I freaking forgot all about it. So I'm going to throw this one up. Pardon That's me. why we're flying by the seat of our pants, folks. Yeah, like I've never done this before. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Okay, so this is a Salt Lake Tribune dot com article 1000 people gathered in violation of health order to protest salt lake city's coronavirus restrictions this is specifically about salt lake city but this is happening all over the country it is. Um, so they came with signs and wearing red white and blue they came with masks most came without they came with just purchased takeout from mcdonald's and costa vida and crown burger they came with lawn chairs and picnic baskets but mostly they close to a thousand people came because they could this is the united states and they wanted to get back to normal they wanted to get back to work quote we have we have to let the government officials know with our voice that it's we the people not they the government rally organizer eric mautsos said to cheers we can be respectful we can be healthy we can be safe he said and we can work as american citizens immediately State and local stay-at-home directives are orders infringe on the rights and do more harm than good, they claim. They also anticipate an increase in suicides as people lose their livelihoods. That's right. If you can't work, if you can't earn income, and because people are literally being rejected from um, uh, unemployment, uh, what are you supposed to do? And so it can drive people to extremes. Uh, Quote, snitching on neighbors for gathering is like fascism. Uh, Americans can make their own decisions, and those who want to open the small business and get back to work have that right. Similar protests have mobilized in Idaho, Michigan, Texas, and Virginia, and you can just look online in the news feeds, and there's a bunch more uh, cropping up everywhere. So after having read this, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on both sides of this issue. And it's, I'm, I'm leaning toward another side uh, on this as well. But my question for our conversation here is, where is individual liberty in a pandemic? Um, wh- That's a heavy question. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that are brought into it. Yeah. Is the pandemic at fever pitch or is it tapering off regionally? You know, right. is, are we at the beginning or the end of the pandemic? It, does it affect and, and everyone or, is, you know? I guess philosophically speaking, does any of that even matter? Does any of the data or the stats matter? I mean, if, if the rights are supposedly inalienable, um, which, you know, I, I don't think is true, though it's a nice tagline and I, I sometimes fall into the trap of quote-unquote patriotic thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think anybody's rights are inalienable. They've always been gifts from the government and you only, you know, you only get what you can take, basically. Yeah. Uh, well, that's an interesting uh, – I, I just want to double down on that point really quick because I don't think people understand that. 
the idea of rights is very, very new. Like, like per United States of America, new, you know, in 1776, new. Like, they did not exist. You didn't have rights as a human being until a government gave them to you. And then right. other governments yeah. adopted those same ideas because they saw that it prospered in specific regions. Um, so this idea of, of individual liberty and individual rights is a very American idea that other people, and, and a very French idea as well, to be fair, um, yeah. that other people have just sort of adopted. They never existed before that. So, yeah, so mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure that was... Yeah, no, and that's and that's a good point. And, you know, if you look at the, the history of the United States, it's not like, um, yeah, we could pull up all the, the crap that we've done wrong or whatever, but, uh, you know, the United States was an experiment in a form of uh, almost self-controlled government so that people govern themselves to a certain extent. Um, but ever since the, the founders uh, built the country, we have consistently... Uh, and just to be clear, anytime that I'm going to quote anyone in the show, because I don't have good notes in front of me, it's always <laughs> paraphrasing. <Yeah. laughs> but just like um, it's like Radnor Redbeard says in Might is Right, ever since the founding of this country, we have consistently voted for more tyranny, more oppression, more uh, control. And so to a certain extent, why are you surprised that the government would take a, advantage of a situation like this and strip you of whatever rights you have left? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's strange because on one side of this issue, we have the reality of, well, there is a pandemic sweeping the globe. And in order to try to flatten the curve of immediate infection rates, mm -hmm. we social distance. And so people have been put into their homes and told not to go to work and their businesses have to be shut down in order to slow the infection rate. And it's worked brilliantly, it seems, because it's actually tapered off a lot more and it never got to the infection rate that they predicted it would early on mm -hmm. in this pandemic. And so if the reason why we're quarantining, why we're social distancing is not to prevent infection rates, it's to stem the influx of them. Um, why are people saying that this is a strike to their liberty? They're not quarantined. They're social distancing. There is a bit of a difference. <laughs> right. There, there is. And it certainly is uh, varied by state by state. Like, uh, yeah. for example, California is much more locked down than uh, Nevada or even Utah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, of course, uh, over here where, where I live currently in Ohio, we were one of the first states to start shutting businesses down. Um, and I, I, I don't know if that's been helpful or not. I, I'm not a virologist. I'm not a, a doctor of any kind. So I'm not, I'm not big on telling people how they should respond to a virus. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that uh, from an American perspective, uh, and again, philosophically speaking, from an American perspective, um, the government is absolutely overstepping what they're allowed to do. Um, there's no denying that. The question is, is it okay or not? And again, from an American perspective, as much as I dislike it, we've consistently said, yes, it's okay every time there's any kind of crisis. Um, we did it with the Great Depression. We did it with 9-11. Uh, we did it every time there's a big crisis. We're willing to give up our, our liberty for the illusion of safety. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, that's just the state of the world. It's just reality. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's it's even doubly challenged because it's not just the government that is putting 
those protections in place. They're calling them protections, but it's also your fellow neighbor. And so that idea of snitching uh, on your neighbors oh. because they have maybe more than 10 people o over at their house. Um, I am not a fan of uh, yeah. like it, it, it takes a lot for me to tell a neighbor to like turn their music down or something like that. Like I just I'm OK with it. Like I want to live the way I want to live. If you want to have Latin music beaming all night, as long as I can get to sleep, I'm OK. If it prevents me from sleeping, then I'll go you know knock on your door. But other than that, I'm not going to bonus points if you, you bring me tequila. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will help you sleep, sir. Um, yeah, the Patriot Act, Patriot Act was a fucking nightmare. That I was screaming and about it's still in place while it's still I was in, in service. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so uh, the other side of this is uh, a, a real reasonable idea on its face. And that's, look, we're trying to like save lives here. How, sure. you know, one is I have to work. If I don't work, then I can't eat yeah. or have a roof over my head. And so yeah. my entire life collapses. And the other is, look, we appreciate that. We're going to try to help you if we can, which they're not. Um, but uh, we need this to, so that we, we save lives. And so you, we're always in this idea of, okay, well, we're in a society and we have to get to a point of herd immunity with anything, you know, whether it's smallpox or whether it's so, um, yeah. mumps you know whatever it is and, and that's either accomplished through exposure or through a vaccine either way it's exactly. still hurting you. Yeah. right and so that could be an argument for this and i do think duration comes to play here because if it's well we need to flatten the curve so let's shut everything down for the contamination gestation period so you know however long someone can have the virus and be infectious after that mm. point why are we locking down anymore? What is it that we're trying to do at that point? And so yeah, it's strange like, that I find myself like actually agreeing with President Trump when I'm like, <laughs> maybe we should start to open it up. I mean, yes, that's got, I'm that's going gotta to be a weird feeling. For oh, you. God <laughs> damn it. It's, it's a horrible thing. <laughs> it's like having an orgasm uh, with like the worst person possible. I don't know. They're like, you know, just someone that you really detest and they just give you a great orgasm. You're just like, oh, Oh, but it was good. Oh, God. What the? <laughs> Not that I know anything about that. I love you, honey. Yeah, right. I love you. Yeah, I think, I think that it's, it's uh, we go back to human nature, like we were talking about in the yeah. first segment. Uh, uh, it's human nature want to kind of pick a side, to do a yeah. thing yeah. in this, you know, to either, you know, you're for individual liberty and you're for individual rights, or, you know, you people are fucking stupid and we need to protect the elderly and, it's easy to jump on sides, but honestly, when I look at this entire situation, it has, uh, and we mentioned uh, several weeks ago when you were on my show, we were talking about uh, the idea, you know, of, of might makes right, but that's a useless idea if you can't identify weaknesses within yourself. Yeah. And if anything, I think this situation has been a perfect opportunity for people to evaluate their own lives, determine what really is important and what isn't, and how much they really need society. Mm -hmm. um, to, to a certain extent, this has given me more of a push to like, I, for the first time in several years, I planted food in a garden. Oh, that's you awesome. know, I, I started working on stuff like that, started trying to remove the, the, the need to rely on society to exist mm -hmm. because if nothing else, it's a big wake up call that all of this is just an illusion that we're, we're covering ourselves with. And it's, yeah. it's, it can go away like that. 
you know, with with a little taste of a bat, it can go. Away. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the weird thing is that on on one hand, I'm frustrated that I'm quarantined and for this long, you know, that that we're like supposed to be staying in our homes and not, you know, having our businesses open. On the other hand, it's almost getting to a point where I almost feel institutionalized, where I'm like, what if they All open right. it up tomorrow? Am I going to be able to operate <laughs> like I did before? Like my entire system, I, I had like an entire, like <laughs> at this time, this is what happens at this time. This is what happens right. life. And that's thrown <laughs> into the trash at this point. And now yeah. if, if I had to go to work tomorrow, <laughs> what? I don't know how to act anymore. Like, I'm this far from just eating people's faces off when I see them. Right, you're going to be in your office in like boxer shorts and scratching yeah. yourself. <laughs> you're like, oh, maybe you should put some clothes on. <laughs> Adam, take a shower. What is wrong with <laughs> <Yeah>. you? <laughs> it's been a month. I'm used to it. I'm like fucking pig pen from Peanuts. Um, it does remind me of, uh, and again, paraphrasing, it does remind me of something that uh, that the maestro said in an article not too long ago. I, I can't even remember which essay it was. Um, but he's uh, something along the lines of, you know, as Satanists, we should not fear society becoming more satanic. Um, while I'm not a fan of, of this being enforced by the government, while I'm not a fan of the government forcing businesses to close down and things like that, um, Isolation, to a certain extent, even for the extroverted Satanists, is a way for us. You know, we have to be in touch with ourselves. We have to isolate ourselves. And what better time to take the dog for a walk when everyone's hiding and cowering in fear in their in their houses right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's much better than when traffic is loaded on the streets. Oh <laughs> yeah, you can actually breathe too. The air doesn't suck. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's a very interesting point too because. Because this this veil of society um, is so fragmented with distrust, animosity, frustration for decades on decades, um, and we are now forced to realize that it really is like a Wizard of Oz situation. There's just a guy behind a yeah. curtain. Once yeah. he pulls that curtain open, it's all gone. Yeah. Even our civil discourse can disappear quickly which is oh, yeah. a strange idea when you were raised in this with this idea of a uh, uh, um, um, fuck what's the word I'm looking for just a, a powerful social contract society yeah social. a social contract <laughs> like George Costanza we live in a society <clears throat> sorry only Seinfeld friends would uh, know that um, so I'm either forced to understand that oh I could totally operate outside of a societal norm outside of a society governing my behaviors i'm quite capable and not just because of this experiment but because i was trained to be able to do that in the military but also i've always fantasized about it my whole life the other side of that is that if i'm spending my entire youth and adult life paying taxes to a government that's supposed to serve and protect me and then when it comes time to do so they fail I should be able to step up and punch them in the face or something. Like there should be some right. responsibility. Right. There should be some fallback to their inability to do what I have been paying them and every other civilian has been paying them their entire lives to do. And yet we we just shirk it off like, okay, well, you know what? Maybe corn producers need more, um, more social security. Uh, um, uh, Fuck, what? I, my vocabulary is just tore <laughs> away from me this entire show. It's because you were reading Moby Dick earlier. Yes, yeah, you got all those exactly 1911 birds. Damn, man. 
Um, it's yeah, it's it's okay to give socialism for uh, corporations, but when we the people, the people actually need it, oh, uh, we'll we'll send you like fifteen hundred bucks sometime in the future, and right. good luck with your unemployment line. Like that's right. what oh, we're and, paying taxes for. And the, you think that this would wake some people up? Like, because I I try, I've been trying really hard lately to kind of see beyond the, the dichotomies that are presented to us. Yeah. So try to see beyond ideas like socialism and capitalism, uh, because those are ultimately just as the thin veiled ideas, the same as society or the social contract. It goes away real quick with enough booze and, and a little bit of anger. <laughs> um, and so uh, when looking at that, I mean, I, I can't disagree with you there. We've been, most of us have been paying tons of money our entire lives. We're born into debt to our country, which is in debt to other countries, you know, and one of those other countries is China. So, I mean, that's a whole connection. There. You're, like, You're not going to pay me? We're just going to eat bad bitches. Right. <laughs> um, and, and think about little things like, uh, so I... Personally, I have my political views on certain things, um, but whether you're for or against the idea of universal health care, the, the argument made from opponents of it was always, we can't afford it. And the arguments from the uh, people who uh, supported it was, we can't not afford to do this. And look how fast they made, what, $2.6 trillion appear? Mm -hmm. Because our money is absolutely meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. It's an idea as thinly veiled as society or the social contract. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just means whatever they, they want it to mean. It's not backed by anything except the word of the U.S. government. We see how good that word is. All right. Sorry. Climbing off my soapbox. I'm good. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you, man. I'm, I'm fucking <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid. It's, it's really frustrating. And so faced with these ideas of when is it enough? When are we just – we can't quarantine anymore. Like, we have to just get back out there. We've flattened the curve for a month. For a fucking month. If that's not enough time, our society is going to disappear as we know it. It will completely oh, fall into yeah. a new recession. Um, and so I was thinking, well, how would you know? And our next article is going to talk about one way of knowing. But I wanted to compare, because we're always hearing that the infection rates and the death rate of coronavirus, and I've reported it based off other reports as well, as being infinitely higher than the flu. Um, but we couldn't really compare apples to apples because the flu happens every single year, and this is just the beginning of the coronavirus. Okay, so understanding yeah. that, I'm going to go with flu seasonal dates to date of infections in the U.S. and deaths in the U.S. and compare it to coronavirus to date this year, infections and deaths. And the numbers are staggering. When you look at flu illness infection rates, it's 39 to 56 million. Coronavirus infection rates, 738,000. Flu death rates, just this year so far in the U.S. only, um, 24 to 62,000 deaths from the flu, just this year. Coronavirus deaths, 39,000. And so, yes, the rate is higher for coronavirus. The infections are aren't even on the same scale, not even close. And right. so we have to be able to, at some point, say, okay, well, if we can protect ourselves from the flu, and again, some people get flu shots, some people don't, that creates a herd immunity, which tamps it down. So I'm not saying apples to apples. I'm not saying the flu is worse than coronavirus because we don't know yet. But I am saying that we're right now in the pandemic being devastated much more by the flu than we are the coronavirus. 
So if the reason why we shut down our entire society, global society, is because of a coronavirus that is nowhere close to as infectious as an existing flu, of which we have a vaccine, but people still don't take it, and we still have infinitely more fucking infection rates from, then why can't we just fucking open it up again? Like, what the fuck are we doing? I think it's it's that whole that old concept of saving the world is sexy. People think that you know that uh, it's it's faux altruism. It's it's it goes back to what we were saying that that mm-hmm. people need to feel like they know something that they're more important uh, because they they have knowledge and the buzzword that gets pandemic is science, right? And people are. Oh, we're getting it again. Hold on a second. Uh, uh, a kind of. You're back. You're good. Did I cut out? Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, people are using the word science as a replacement right now for things like God and the state and things like that because they don't trust their government. They stopped believing in God a long time ago. And that's great. But stop looking for something to replace God. And they're doing it with science now without actually understanding the science itself. I'm not saying that, that the scientific process is flawed or that you know the science shouldn't be trusted. Uh, what I'm saying is, like, you who are so self-important, uh, reading your your articles from CNN and MSNBC, you don't know anything more about this than I do, who doesn't read those articles. Mm-hmm. Or then, to be quite frank, the federal government, President Trump does. He doesn't read that shit. <laughs> he has he no idea what's going on. <laughs> I mean, he, he, knows, really he knows about as much as you do, maybe even less. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we're, we rely on scientists to tell us things. And sometimes that's, I mean, they, they specialize in it. They're an expert for a reason. But let's not kid ourselves into thinking that some science isn't bought and paid for, mm. that there isn't political machinations going on with research, that there isn't a skewing of the numbers. We, we, there's ample evidence that a lot of the, the COVID-19 numbers have been completely erroneous from the start because they're including things like the regular flu or someone dies of a heart attack, but they had COVID-19, like the, the viral agent inside their body, so they mark it as a COVID-19 death. We have no idea how many people are dying from this. And, and worshiping at the altar of science when you don't understand it yourself is, is just as false as going to church in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so I, I do find myself um, simultaneously saying that yeah, we need to open everything back up and get our um, uh, infection rates to a sustainable. Um, oh, man, I just fucking mentioned this before. <laughs> Again, it might. It's killing me. Um, herd immunity. Um, yes. we, we've got to get to a percentage of herd immunity. Um, and so our next article that we're going to be jumping into here, uh, well, we might as well do it right now, uh, sure. speaks to that. So when can we actually open it up? And it has actually been studied. And so let's get into that with this article. Interesting. All right. I have, uh, <laughs> I'm off on everything. <laughs> oh, I'm To be sorry. fair, we didn't know what we were even going to be talking about until this morning. Yeah, so. that's normal for me, though. <laughs> I should, I should know better. Okay. <laughs> Uh, coronavirus testing needs to go up by 350,000 per day for the U.S. to reopen, Harvard researchers say. This is a CNN article. Um, testing nationwide is currently at 150,000 per day, they said, adding that, quote, if we can't, do, if we can't be doing at least 500,000 tests a day by March 1st, it's hard to see any way we can remain open. 
The research on the testing shortfall was done by Dr. Ashish Jha, faculty director of the Harvard Global uh, Health Institute, Dr. Thomas Tsai, researcher at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, and Benjamin Jacobson, researcher assistant at the Harvard Global Health Institute. In the U.S., 20% of those tested for coronavirus get positive results. The World Health Organization has said that to reopen, that number should be between 3 to 12%. The White House said states can enter the first phase towards reopening once they see a continued decrease over the next two weeks. The U.S. is currently lacking the testing capacity critical to reopening, and the rollout of tests was stalled from the start of the national outbreak. The delay stemmed from contamination in manufacturing the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention coronavirus test, multiple health officials told CNN. So the CDC was actually generating tests outside of their manufacturing facilities, which has strict containment guidelines. And so all of the tests that they were trying to do in a rush, it can't be used anymore because they're contaminated. Um, and so that created a huge hole in our testing capacity. And so if we can't reopen the entire population until only 3 to 12% of the population tests positive, which is that herd immunity point, um, and currently we're at 20%, we're talking weeks or months or so. Yeah, I saw some things that, that uh, hinted that it might be, that we might need to keep doing this uh, and then maybe not as severe as we're doing it right now, but close to that with only like keeping the number of people inside a store down, even though the store can reopen, that kind of mm -hmm. thing, uh, up until 2022. What? And that, yeah. And, and again, this was, it was a CNN article. I don't remember which one it was and ah! I should have added it to the document. That's insane. <laughs> I can't take but, that. I can't do that. Right. Oh right. It, and that, that to me is when you start talking about numbers like that, uh, it goes back to what you were asking. When is enough enough? Um, you can have all your high, you know, highfalutin machinations you want about how we're going to protect the elderly and the immunocompromised. But I mean, life goes on. And I hate to say that. And I know people always try to, to come back with, well, you wouldn't feel that way if it was your family. Yeah, I've got elderly family members. I've got family members with. I have a family member that's old. Surprise. <laughs> oh, no, you froze up. Here, hold on. Let me try to fix it. Oh, you're back. You're back. Right in the middle of my rant. Sorry, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, but what I was what I was saying was that uh, uh, you know I I've got elderly family members. I've got uh, family members with pre-existing conditions that this would be really hard on. But that doesn't change the fact that life is happening here and now, and uh, we're supposed to, especially as Satanists, be living for the here and now. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously. Us ranting on a, a live YouTube broadcast with uh, what do we have? Thirty-two people in the chat is not going to change the government's mind, <laughs> but we can at least you know discuss it and kind of I guess see where we stand on the topic. And where I stand on it is enough has already been enough. Like I, I wasn't cool with the Patriot Act. I wasn't cool with um, you know the the Income Tax Act in 1913. I, I haven't been cool with any of this. I'm not a fan of it. Um, Fuck you if you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Delicately delivered. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it, is, it is tough because, again, I always take the, the perspective of if we're going to have a society, and it seems like we try to, if we're going to have one, and the government is there to protect and serve us, and we pay money to that government to do just that, 
Well, then they should fucking do that. And if they don't, then we need to stop voting party lines and start voting individuals in with ideas, starting at the local level, going up to a, 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 a country level, an institutional governmental level, um, right. a national government level is what I was looking for. Uh, it's, it's really frustrating to me when we have people who actively remove themselves from the public system and then bitch and complain about it. Um, if you're not part of it, then you have no fucking say, period. So if you're not voting, I don't want to hear what you think about the government. You're not voting. And that's the majority of people. That's not, that, and that's not hyperbolic. That's literally the majority of people don't vote in this country who can vote. And they also complain about it. But if you're not taking control of the situation, then what the fuck are you bitching about? You have no say. And if we're seriously supposed to be a society, then why don't we fucking act like one and take care of the society? Instead of condemning everyone to their fucking uh, rooms like a pissed off parent, how about You're instead? grounded. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's literally what it is. Uh, we're tired of this spreading infection. Get to your room. No TV tonight. Um, instead of that, how about we just force everyone who can make testing to make testing implements and get an accurate number of the infection rates in this goddamn country. We have a census. We know how many people live in different regions. So we know a, a, an actual number that we should be striving for when it comes to testing. Let's get it out there. If we can get people going door to door for their favorite politicians, if you want to get out of your house and restart your goddamn society, then maybe we should get people door to door to give out tests and just see what fucking the reality is. Because again, you're, to your point earlier, we don't know. We just have no idea. We're guessing. We're, yeah, we're guessing. The media's guessing. The government's guessing. We're guessing. Everybody's guessing. Yeah. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. So let's get our finger on the pulse and figure it out. Um, right. The president right now has the ability to force private industries to make tests and, uh, and uh, uh, respirators. That He's only like, done it um, to a very small portion, but if it means reopening society, I mean, let's, I'm for that. Like, let's do it. Let's get it done already. I'm tired of sitting around. If it means three weeks of our industries focusing on public health instead of, I don't know, a Toyota or whatever, <laughs> then, then fuck, let's do it. Let's do it for three weeks and then we'll have the test we need and then we can test everyone and in another week or maybe two weeks or maybe a month, at least we'll know for sure. But this whole guessing and being afraid and hiding in the shadows, I was on a, a trail in the middle of a fucking mountain today. In the middle of a fucking mountain with nothing but open air all <laughs> around me. And hikers that walked past me put a hanky over their fucking face. <laughs> Come on. If I was stricken with COVID, would I be in the middle of a mountain? And if I was infectious, right, I don't, I don't cough. think you'd be able to make it to the top of the mountain. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, come on, people. It's so fucking, it's stupid. Like, I, I was at the grocery store the other day because I had to restock up because that's a thing you have to think about now. And a jar of peanut yeah, how, butter. How's your toilet paper situation? Oh, we're good. Okay. Before it hit the bed when people were, like, taking it off shelves, I told my wife, I'm like, look, I don't want to be one of these people, but we need toilet paper. <laughs> So <laughs> please go pick up toilet paper. <laughs> um, and she such checks. a weird thing that nobody like. So I've I've had survival training as well, you know, and I've I've done a lot of uh, kind of uh, off grid 
prepping type stuff. Uh, I never would have thought of toilet paper. That's just like, holy shit, that's a thing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, I I never think about it. now. It, it's the only thing I can think of. Like when I'm wiping my ass, I'm like, am I using too much? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Do I need to be pristine? How much scruff is okay? How, or is one dingleberry okay? Is two okay? <laughs> is the Charmin teddy bear lying to me? <laughs> I just like I I literally think about wiping my ass a lot nowadays, and I never did before. <laughs> He's never entered my. I just thought it was a thing you did and you moved on with your life. But you know, it's funny. Uh, we, we you mentioned uh, well, we we've talked a little bit about the federal government, specifically President Trump. And I remember right before this whole thing started, I want to say back in um, November, maybe October, there was this thing that was going around about Trump had, had had was in a meeting and he had mentioned something about people are are using too much toilet paper, they're wiping their ass too much, and then lo and behold, here we are in a toilet paper shortage. <laughs> Thanks, I find Trump. that kind of interesting. <laughs> I've been seriously thinking about getting a bidet. Like that's like, yeah, I'm yeah. thinking about it. I was just like, I've never really thought about it before, but now it's, it's in my fucking frontal lobe. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that, that, those are my thoughts on the, the issue is let's just, let's get tests so we can actually find out the real numbers and we can figure out how, how bad the situation really is. Or if we are just living in fear and here's the truth, which kind of bugs me that it's a truth of my perception. I don't know if it's a fact. Um, I don't think they want us out of fear. I think they want to keep uh -oh. us in a state of fear. No, that goes, that goes right back to the invisible war and that, that yeah. concept of the, they're constantly agitating us. And they are, mm -hmm. they're constantly agitating us uh, to, to keep us ignorant of what is happening, to keep us from getting involved to a meaningful degree, because nobody that's in charge wants another 1776. Yeah. Um, that was a terrible time for the powers that be. Yeah. <laughs> and it works. Like the agitation yeah. works brilliantly. Uh, it was uh, to go back to the what I was saying earlier about uh, with the great experiment, the experiment that is the United States. Honestly, I think maybe maybe it is time. Maybe we got it wrong in the Civil War. And I'm not talking about slavery. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the idea of states. Everyone heard it here first. Forth. Jeff Bowling wants to talk about slavery. <laughs> But the idea of uh, states splitting off to create their own little countries, because uh, I think, what is it, 320 million people might just be too many for an experiment like the United States to ever actually work. Yeah, it's one thing when it's 13 colonies. Right, right. It's another when we're in the hundreds of millions of citizens. I mean, California could be its own country in population. Mm -hmm. Easily. California and Texas could, could stand on their own in the world economy yeah. without the United States if yeah. they wanted to. Which is so, insane um, they, when you think about it. Let them do that. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there's always that sort of trite reference to America being the new Rome and how Rome, they expanded too far and they couldn't protect themselves and they forgot who they were and they ended up, you know, falling. Um, I think maybe there is something to that. The idea of imperialism oh, yeah. only working up to x if you get to y it all crumbles yeah. and i don't like well, because the idea. eventually like like any any good uh, uh military movement you can train and you can train and you can train but eventually you're going to meet an enemy who's just better trained than you mm -hmm. or just better than you and it's it's the same thing with the you know with the idea of imperialism i think i have this weird theory that america was always meant to be a type of empire um but I do think we're we're starting to reach the very limits of what that empire could possibly be, because now we're bumping into 
and, and by now, I mean within the last you know 100 years or so, we're bumping into the rest of the world. We're starting to bump into people like the USSR, Nazi Germany, uh, uh, other places that are pushing back, and they don't want that that empire to expand any further. The, most recently, the Middle East. Uh, okay. They're not fans of ours <laughs> at no. all. You know? Well, I, I mean, it depends on who, <laughs> you know? Mm. I As mean, a in whole, general, the country definitely itself, not. But yes, but there are <laughs> yeah, a few, people, a few princes that are yeah. very favorable uh, to the U.S. Um, yeah, and this this opens up to a broader discussion about globalism and imperialism, and I would definitely like to have that with you in the future if you're open to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, let's let's stay on topic yeah. and. and... Uh, well, just to that, I mean, we're, we're sort of at our, our time for the show, and we got one more segment to go, so let's oh. jump to that and uh, do a little creature feature. Go for it. Man, I love the fly. It's so good. <laughs> It's such a weird uh, movie clip to talk about great expectations. <laughs> it really is. It really is. But um, I just have them. St- they're all always the same. So there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about Charles Dickens's great expectations. So this is the 13th novel by Charles Dickens, his penultimate completed novel. It's the second to last completed novel. Uh, The first published as a serial in Dickens' weekly periodical all the year round from 1 December 1860 to August 1861. It's set in Kent and London in early to mid-19th century. It's full of extreme imagery, poverty, prison ships, and chains, and fights to the death, including themes about wealth, poverty, love, rejection, and guilt. This is a novel in the truest sense of the word. There is a continual story that starts and ends with the same characters but it, it's all about character development it's a very big novel i mean mm-hmm. i say that it, it took me 17 hours to read it out loud and so you know whatever that is um the first time i was so introduced, it probably would have taken like 15 if you weren't doing it out loud yeah yeah or maybe even less because it does <laughs> it takes a lot out of you but um i was first introduced to the story with the film that was released in the 90s with like ethan hawk and um uh, um, I can't remember her name. Anyway, uh, it was really good. It wasn't really on the nose because it was a modern interpretation, like mm. you get with like Romeo and Juliet, uh, frequently or Hamlet. You get a lot of modern interpretations of it. <clears throat> but uh, the story is really just about. Uh, it, it's centered from the idea of a young boy named Pip realizing what the world has in store for him, how he can by chance become a prominent member of whatever this society is and then his dreams are dashed when he realizes how he got there in the first place and that nothing is actually going to work out the way he wanted it to or expected it to based on those great expectations that were put onto him um so let me let me clarify this just a little bit and then i want to talk about some of the the themes in this and how they relate even to today um and even in situations like we're talking about right now um Christmas Eve, it starts out on Christmas Eve, uh, this young orphan who is actually not really an orphan, he's being raised by his sister, but his parents died, so I guess that makes him an orphan. Um, he's about seven years old, he's in a cemetery, uh, cemetery reading the headstone of his father, and it references his mother, and it references his name, um, and how he can't even say his name, because he's seven, and it's a tough name to say, so he just says Pip instead of Philip. Um, 
he runs into this escaped convict uh, who is also with another escaped convict. But the escaped convict, uh, his name is Abel Magwitch, which is important later in the story. But he like grabs him. He's like, look, you need to go get me a file and you need to get me some food. And if you don't, I'm going to turn you over to this other guy and he's going to eat you. Do you understand? So go do it. So this seven-year-old kid is just like, fuck, okay, I'll get you whatever you want. Um, and that moment of the boy's consent to get him the food and the file so that he can ostensibly escape sets up his entire life later yep. on and he doesn't even realize it the second part of this is when this um wealthy reclusive spinster miss havisham uh asks his uncle mr pumblechook to uh bring a boy to her house so that she can have someone play with her um uh, adopted daughter and also just sort of entertain her and so he brings Pip. And what starts is this expectation um, and an opportunity is presented to this young man saying, look, right now you're destined to be a blacksmith and poor. If you want to be a gentleman, which means money and society, then um, we can help you do that through this third party that we're not allowed to tell you who it is. A lawyer is telling you this. And he's like, we have great expectations of you if you want to take them. And this means an opportunity for this like destitute orphan child to rise out of this poverty, this, this world that he only got a taste of when he was visiting Miss Havisham and her ad um, adopted daughter Estelle. Uh, and then... They, uh, he, he, he wants something greater. This opportunity presents itself. He assumes it's from Miss Havisham, but it's never really uh, confirmed. And so it goes off. And what you do is you learn to think like Pip, to experience life through his eyes, to experience the 19th century England specifically through his eyes, but also the behaviors of the different characters. And you get to know this fleshed out world that he lives in. And it's so incredibly rich. Um, you grow to care about these people and then yeah shut up stephanie this recap is taking 17 hours <laughs> God damn. all right it's good thank you for watching <laughs> recap. Yeah, right. um, no I, I love it so much because it, it it presents these themes of classes that is very prominent in the uk in the states i mean i don't know that it's so much i mean we have middle class and what we see is rich and then everyone else is just sort of like lower class and i was raised in lower class and we always convinced ourselves that we were middle class but it was never something that like, i thought like was... most poor people do they convince themselves of middle class yeah. it's true. It's so i mean it's true yeah it's true i we, yeah. we I, I grew up poor and, and the whole time i was a kid i always thought we were middle class because that's what my mom told me but no we weren't we were poor, <laughs> poor and there shit. was always someone worse off you know, like either oh, in yeah. your neighborhood or in the next neighborhood. Like you always knew someone that was infinitely worse off than you were. So you always thought, well, if I'm not that bad. So, you know, right. we must be middle class, right? <laughs> like that's, that's all it was. But I never thought of that being a cap for me. Like, you know, I, I'm born in the middle class. I was really born in lower class, but I was born in a middle class uh, family. So then I could never be better than that. You know, that, that never entered my head. That's something that is very prominent in um, the UK, but the promise of America is that you can always raise, become better, become more affluent, make more money if you just work hard enough. The truth behind that is not always the case. 
<laughs> and not everyone can do it, but it can be done. And so that's the dream, the American dream. Um, yeah, you can you can always. Uh, I I would say that the truth, the American dream in and of itself is a, is a pretty big lie. I mean, let's just be honest. But uh, but the truth behind it is that you can always improve your lot in life. You may yeah. not be that good. Yeah. You may not get that high. But if you really focus and put in the work on your own life, you can get an extra ten thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're dirt poor, that is a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. No, it, but it also qu- makes you. It, it forces you to question, and this is something that I did when I was uh, going in, uh, through college. Was well, what makes what is happiness? Like the idea that I'm doing what I need to do. I went into the military so I could go to college. I went through college so I could get a good job. I'm going to get a good job so I can be happy. If my end goal ultimately is happiness, well, how do I achieve that? Do I have to go through all these steps in order to get to happiness? And it was presented to me in college that no, happiness is just living in your means. You think every poor person is horribly sad? No, they're not. Yeah, so, some, some of them, them are super, are I have miserable. met some of the nicest and happiest yeah, bums but in some the of world. them are super fucking just yeah. just content with where they are in life. And, and I, I used to do uh, uh, I used to do executive protection for uh, for very rich people, and as as a bodyguard. Uh, for some of these billionaires, I met some of the most miserable people in the world. Mm-hmm. But they literally have the wor- the world at their fingertips. They can do whatever they want, and nobody can tell them no. And they hate their life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And there, there, there has have been uh, anecdotal, you know, scientific studies of what the average income in the United States varies by region um, needs to be in order for you to not be stressed because of money having too much or too little or having to work too much to keep it or, you know, not being able to work hard enough or uh, not having the opportunity to make more. But that's right around 60 to 80,000 regionally variant, you know, add 20,000 or something. But it's around that area where people are like, no, I'm happy here with what I'm making. I don't need to make more. You know, if I needed to make, if I, if I had to make more, I would lose quality of life because I wouldn't be able to spend time with my family, which I love. And I wouldn't be able to go out and do what I want to do. You know, I, I would have to have, you know, more taxes taken out the more money you make. And so there is, you know, it's going to change for everyone. And so, you know, don't take those numbers as, you know, like personal, whatever gospel, you know. But um, the point that I'm trying to make is find what it takes for you to live in your means. And that's happiness. That means you can yeah. do whatever the fuck you want other than that. You're not going to be in beholden to other people find something that you could do if if absolutely necessary you could start your own business with if you're content just work for someone else but if you can make that amount of income then that's all you need it doesn't have to be billions of dollars a year and it certainly doesn't mean you have to be on welfare and see and that ties into what i was saying earlier during when we were talking about the virus with the 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 notion especially that uh, all this is brought to my head of like how do i make myself better able to function without society Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, you'll never find yourself happier than, um, like, for example, we were talking about canned peaches, or you were talking about canned peaches earlier today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which I agree with you on. I like <laughs> canned peaches better than the fresh peach. But imagine that, you know, if you have just a, a few acres of property, like, you know, five acres of property, a house, um, and, and you have a peach tree in the backyard and you grow those peaches and then you can them yourself. <laughs> you never have to go to the store to get peaches. You don't have to rely on factories to process your peaches for mm-hmm. you. You don't have to rely on all the you, – you're 
the most part, beholden to no one except for maybe your distant neighbors and whatever the government takes for property tax. Yeah. Um, and of course, I'm I'm kind of regurgitating uh, a lot of the stuff from uh, from Ralph Borsodi's This Ugly Civilization, uh, <laughs> but that book had a huge impact on me at the beginning of this year. So, uh, so and and then all this kicked off, and it just it got those wheels turning, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's something that in in America we do have classes. I, I think our classes are a little less defined, um, in the sense that they're more of a made up thing. Like for example, we have a warrior class in America, yeah. and a lot of people don't realize this. But a lot of people who are in the military are not first generation from their family in the military. Yep. Um, even though it's it, – whether it's you know used like a tool or it's used for patriotic reasons or whatever, most people that join the military are third, fourth, fifth, even sixth generation military. Yep. Um, we've developed and built our own warrior class. The same is true with the trades. Um, yep. You are more likely – like probably like 99% more likely to be a carpenter if your dad was a carpenter. You know, and so on yeah. and so forth. Um, so our classes, it's almost, it almost argues that maybe classism is uh, an aspect of human nature as well. Um, there's always going to be standouts from any of those classes who may not follow the trend, who may uh, bucket and become super successful. And that is a possibility in America. Mm -hmm. um, it's very rare that it truly happens. Uh, but... Uh, but it is a possibility in America where it was not in England, especially the England that Charles Dickens is writing about in the story, yep. where, as you see with Pip, he has to go attend classes and be trained in order to be allowed into the upper class. Yeah, yeah. there, there are rules that you must adhere to in order to be. And it's the same, you know, we have similar institutions like um, if you only have a high school diploma, unless you're in a trade, your, your financials... Uh, how much you earn in a year does have a cap. Um, of course, there are exceptions, but generally those who attend college earn more than those who do not attend college. Again, the entire um, tech field since the 90s has skewed all of that, but generally it's a rule. Um, and and to, you know, to a, a point here in the chat room where uh, Zachary is saying lots of people can't afford five acres of land in a house, so does that mean that independence can only be bought? No, because independence is within oneself, right? Yeah, it's more of a state of mind than anything. I was giving a physical example, but it's a state right. of mind more than anything. So I have a mortgage on my house. I have a decent-sized yard. Uh, mm. I have a profession that I studied in college for, but I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, I feel like I have an enormous amount of independence even though i still have to finish paying off my house and i still have to pay property taxes to a government and i still mm. gotta finish paying off my tesla so other than that i'm good <laughs> but i still have you know i'm i'm not independent as you know the purest sense of the word but i'm still fucking happy i mean not right yeah. now because of the pandemic but in general <laughs> yeah. if anyone watches your shows and thinks you're happy they're, they're... <laughs> you know you you Stop with the fucking earthquakes and I'll be happier. I'll right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could always be happier. You yeah. Know, and, uh, but that's uh, what I loved about this novel so much is that it, it put life in a context that is different enough, but still similar so that I could have parallels with my own life and, and see it and understand this character and, and feel for the character in the situations they're in. I mean, one of them that uh, he's struggling with is this idea of, of love and connection. He was introduced to this girl when he was really young that, you know, if he would have stayed where he was, he probably would have married her, but he wanted Estelle, the girl that was 
out of reach for him that he could never even connect with. I hope I'm saying that right. Stella. Um, <laughs> I never fucking know how to I read. Think, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah. It's how um, it was pronounced in the movie. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, he, he always wants what's out of reach for him as we all do. We all want more than we can actually achieve. And this is something that I don't think people fully want to accept because it's an uncomfortable idea, but I've been shouting it from the rooftops from the beginning of my life is that, not everyone can do everything. You have an innate yeah. capacity that you are capable of. And once you realize what that is, you can either accept it and be content, or you can fight and try to raise it a little bit, which you can. But you're never going to be a Beethoven. You're never going to be a fucking Michelangelo. I mean, some people are, but not everyone. And so my point yeah. is, we all have an innate capacity. We have to be able to accept who and what we are. And understand our own limits, whatever those limits may be, great or small. Um, and that's something that Pip struggles with this entire novel, which is why I loved it so much, because that's how I struggle with my own life, is what am I actually capable of versus what are my aspirations? And do they always line up? Fuck no. I always try to be much greater than I actually am, and I'm constantly reminded of what my abilities <laughs> actually are. And I actually kind of like the idea that I'm, Constantly pushing, but never quite reaching my aspirations. Because that, right. and as saying this is something, of course, we, we need to be able to do because we, we want to be the best versions of ourselves. And you can't do that if you don't know what your best version could possibly be. Uh, right. You have to keep testing those bounds. And you can waste a lot of time. And, and time is, uh, especially as Satanists, that time is a very limited. precious commodity. Yeah. We understand we have a limited amount of time to make an impact. You can waste a lot of time pursuing a pipe dream. Yep. spiritual or otherwise yeah. uh there there is you know when i was a young kid i wanted to be a lot of things there was times that you know i wanted to be a paleontologist and i wanted to be a marine biologist but then i entered the the phase i think every young boy does where they want to be a fighter pilot <laughs> yeah you know, I, yeah. I wanted to be a fighter pilot and i could have wasted a lot of time trying to get that mm -hmm. knowing knowing that with my screwed up eyes you know because i wear glasses mm -hmm. i never would have been a possibility it never would have happened yep. but i could have wasted all my time fighting for that thing and then failed at it and had no idea where to start my life as an adult yeah. rather than just letting it be a passing child fantasy realizing that's not what i'm going to be but i can do this instead yeah. <laughs> and i could be great at this yeah. um and a lot of people don't they don't think they're just lost and i think that's the uh the, it goes back to what we were talking about with the virus and what we were talking about at the very beginning of the show. It goes back to that idea that a lot of people just want to be commanded. Yep. They just want to be told what to do. And that's okay. I mean, uh, I mean, it's a very it is, human it idea, yeah. you know, um, but, or herd animals. I mean, that, that's what we are. We're tribal <laughs> by nature. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we, we're always looking for that something that's going to guide us to whatever. It, mm -hmm. it, you know, it used to be God, and now it's the state. You know, yeah. I was saying earlier, for a lot of people, it's the nebulous idea of science versus the actual scientific method. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah, I, honestly, uh, when it comes to great expectations, I have not read it since I think high school, but uh, it is hands down, I think the best work that Charles Dickens has ever done because he paints a very, very rich picture. And like you said, you start to care about these characters um, even if you don't want to. Yeah. Uh, and he paints this vivid, you can, you can smell their smells and see their sights and, <laughs> yeah. you know, you can, you're in their world. He does an excellent job with this book and I highly recommend people read it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and I love it mainly for the themes it presents, and then you get to explore those themes through the characters' motivations and actions. And it, you know, there there's a huge twist in the middle of it if you've never read the book or never seen any of the versions of the films. I'm not going to bring it up now, but check it out because it's it's very entertaining. It's fun. It's a great classic novel for a reason. And you've got time. I know you do. Yeah, exactly. So, what the hell else are you doing right you now? Need a suggestion. There's my suggestion. All right, that's going to do it for our show. Um, Jeff, thanks so much for joining me on this. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. I really Badass. appreciate it. Um, could you want to give the good folks out there listening or watching, uh, where can they find you online? What's your sure. Um, so I have a, a lot of a lot of little things going on, but the two, the the well, the three. I should say, there's three major things happening right now. Uh, first is, uh, obviously my band hasn't gone anywhere and with the lockdown, I've been fiddling around with the guitar. We're working on some new music. Oh, cool. So check us out at slave to reality.bandcamp.com. Uh, the next thing is, and I know you're getting ready to start a book club, but I'm going to well, go I ahead and pivot. Uh, mybookcult.com, uh, started by, uh, Magister Slaughter and the fine folks at Underworld Amusements. Been reading some amazing books, uh, $16.66 a month. You get a book delivered to your mail. You get access to all these interesting people. And these aren't just regurgitated like satanic books. We're not doing a satanic Bible study. We're reading things that have been out of print for a very long time and things that are connected to things we didn't know were connected. It's a very interesting project, so I highly recommend that. And, of course, if you are a veteran of the armed forces and uh, a Satanist, please check out infernallegion.org. We are the world's first veterans uh, service organization made for and by Satanists and run by Church of Satan members. So please check out infernallegion.org. And there's my plugs. Yeah. Well, you also <laughs> have the Infernal Legion podcast on Radio Free Satan, right? That is true. Yeah. yeah. We have the official podcast. We have uh, we have a lot of things going on within the Infernal Legion. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, the podcast is on Radio Free Satan. And huge shout out to those guys. They've been very uh, accommodating with us, allowing us to do something that Hasn't really been done before on their on their station. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, well, uh, if you appreciate this show, if you like what we're doing here, you can always like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Sign up to the email list in the description of the video below. And uh, in general, if you find us in podcast land, give me a like. Give me a like a star review. Hopefully, it's five. If it's four, okay. If it's three, fuck off. <laughs> that's how it works all right <laughs> please write your complaints on the back of a 20 dollar bill and mail it exactly <laughs> i will read it thoroughly um and that's really all i got for you today uh thank you guys so much for joining us in the live chat you guys are fantastic um thank you jeff so much for taking time out of your quarantine to to join me i appreciate it man and we got to do this again sometime let me get this off the screen um uh, definitely go check out if you're a veteran go check out infernal legion i mean it just makes sense um but also, you know, check his music out. It's nice. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's fun. And again, you got nothing else going on. <laughs> but if you want to learn more about Satanism, you can always go over to churchofsatan.com, pick up the standard Bibles, the standard scriptures, and read those. It's always good, and it's good for you. It builds a healthy heart. It, it puts hair on your testicles. And if you don't have testicles, you grow them. It's true. I know a lot of satanic women with testicles now. It's a problem. It's not true. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much for tuning in. Until next time. Until next week. Hail Satan. Hail Satan.